welcome to episode four of In Her Nature. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Caroline, and you're listening to the podcast and community where you can learn from others' experiences to make your next adventure more approachable. I think new experiences make us better people, so come along for the ride and see if you can learn something new today. I wanted to give a huge shout out and thank you to everyone that listened to our first three episodes. I also wanted to say thank you so much for all the support we got. We couldn't do it without you guys, and I just feel very grateful for the community that has already started to embrace In Her Nature. So thank you so much. A couple of housekeeping things before we get into our interview today. We have free stickers, so if you would like them, you can contact us a couple of different ways. You can always shoot us an Instagram DM, or you could send us an email. Both of those are at In Her Nature Pod, and then the email is at InHerNaturePod at gmail.com. The other thing is, if you go to our Instagram page, go to the link in the bio, there's a couple forms that you can look through. So one of them is the free sticker form. If you want to send our information that way, that totally works with us. You'll other also see there, we have a question or like a feedback form. So if you have ideas for us, like guests or stuff you'd like to see or restructuring or whatever, we would love to hear your feedback. And that is like an anonymous way to do so. Again, you're always welcome to email us or send us a dm but that's just a way to do it anonymously if you know someone that would enjoy the podcast but can't listen to audio for whatever reason we do have transcripts of all of our episodes so within that link in bio there's a form you can send us your email and we'll just include you we'll email you every time an episode comes out with the transcript Last little disclaimer before we jump into it today, but we are not professionals here at In Her Nature. We are recreationalists and we are just giving our advice on the topic. So take it with a grain of salt, anything pertinent to your health and safety, go to the right people for that. Go to a medical provider, go to a professional. Um, These are conversations that we think are really helpful, but they definitely don't tell the whole story. So just be an advocate for yourself and take everything with a grain of salt. In proper fashion from last week, so if you didn't listen to last week, It was with Liz and we talked about the joy of the jog and learning the mental aspect of running and how important that is when you're getting into the sport. We talked a lot about ego versus joy. And I mentioned last week that I have some objectives this year that I'm looking forward to. One of them is coming up. It was the Ice Age 50 miler and (laughs) an absolute classic ordeal. I ended up dropping out of that race or not Um, decided not to do it and I just felt like I really couldn't focus on school enough like I wasn't prioritizing that and in this phase of my life that is my priority so I felt a lot of anxiety about that race Um, and after talking with Liz and going on some runs where I could kind of think through everything I just decided that it wasn't serving me in the way I wanted it to and I was doing it perhaps for ego and not necessarily for joy I think that race will be on the docket sometime soon, but I am just a little bit overloaded with school. If you are a student and you're looking to get into ultras, Ice Age 50, it's a race, Whitewater, Wisconsin. They do student scholarships. So if that's something that seems interesting to you, I would highly recommend you apply. Um, Signups are in December of like six months before the date. So the race is in two weeks or May 13th, I think. And then signups for that come in December. So if that's something you're interested in, I would so highly recommend it. Jeff, the race director, is such a great guy. He's really been very flexible with me. So I would encourage you to seek that out if you're interested. There are a lot of people from different states that come and run it. So if that's something that's interesting to you, again, highly recommend it. But yeah, we're going to wait on the race. And I'm a little bit sad, of course, but 
I'm hopeful that we'll get another shot at it here shortly. All right, everyone, get hyped. We have an awesome episode today with my friend Molly. It's all about swimming. We definitely talk about things like swimming in a pool versus swimming in open water, how to kind of approach swimming if you're doing a triathlon, what to think about, um, how workouts are structured in the pool. If you're looking to get into a master swim class, maybe how that atmosphere is. I'm really excited. I think swimming is such an underrated sport as an adult and something that I've been trying to work on. So I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. Okay, Molly, can you kind of give us a background of your intro to swimming? You're obviously a collegiate athlete. You swam for Illinois, Mm -hmm. but there's a ton of history before that. Can you tell us how you got into swimming and how you ended up being a collegiate swimmer? Yes. So uh, I have a lot of family history with swimming. So my parents both met on their college swim team at St. Cloud State in Minnesota. And my dad's brothers all swam for that team as well. And then my sister swam for uh, University of Illinois the four years before I did. And so it was kind of a crime if I didn't choose to swim. And uh, so I started before I can even remember, I think my parents threw me in the pool, like before I could walk. I never really thought of it as anything past high school for the longest time, like being a college athlete wasn't always like the end goal. I know some kids grow up and that's like the the only thing they ever want to do. Luckily I had my foot in the door with Illinois because my sister was there. And so I reached out to the coaches and were like, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of interested. And I was happy being a walk-on at like a bigger school, like small fish in a big pond. And so I chose to continue with it collegiately and I'm, I'm super happy I did. My teammates were awesome. The lessons I learned of being an athlete at that level were great. Uh, like the time management skills and just the, the human factors of grit and like perseverance and accepting failure and all that kind of stuff. Along with being a D1 swimmer, you also were balancing, in my mind, like two other big things during undergrad. Like you were an engineering student and you also were an ROTC. And now you're a badass pilot for the, for the Army. So, and I would love to do more episodes on that too, because I think it's a really interesting trajectory. But yeah, like now you fly helicopters for a living. I mean, you do other stuff too, but it's so <laughs> sick. So I just need to hype you up a little bit because that's insane. Um, yeah, well, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Now that I've started to get into swimming, I've been texting you all the time. I'm like, dude, this is so hard. I blacked out, not blacked out. I really got pushed during my practice. Like, how did you do this? So I do want to get into like some details of swimming because for a lot of people, especially in their adult like life post school or whatever, like swimming may seem like a closed door because it's like, Mm -hmm. I haven't been swimming for my whole life like you, like, how do I get into it? So could you kind of explain like the overall... I guess like as someone who really might not be comfortable in a lap pool, could you kind of explain the, the layout of the pool and kind of like the idea of the distances of the pool and stuff like that, like really higher level, like Mm -hmm. when you walk into a pool, what do you kind of see and what should you expect? Yeah. Um, so I'll start off by saying I've never, I didn't join like a master's team or anything after I was done. Uh, My sister and my mom did. Um, so I don't necessarily know how like master's teams structure their stuff, but in terms of the pool, there's, you can, In the U.S., you'll typically find three different options. Uh, The most common one, I'd say, is a 25-yard pool, and that's what um, U.S. college, like NCAA, that's what we compete in is 25 yards. Um, There's also 25 meters, which is more of an international competition thing, but there's still sometimes 25-meter pools that you'll find 
in the US, they're usually older pools. So if you're at an older pool, the likelihood of that being 25 meters is a little higher. And then there's the Olympic size pool, which is 50 meters. And usually you'll find those in like at a college, like a big college um, or university or like at a major city where there's a big like natatorium or something. Um, so yeah. the Olympic size pool is 50 meters. Uh, it's like, it sounds double the size of a, a 25 yard, uh, eight to 10 lanes, depending on um, the size of the pool. Um, and 25 yards is generally called short course and 50 meters is called long course. So if you ever hear those terms, that's kind of what they mean and, and you know what to expect. Um, and a 25 yard pool, you'll see the two sets of flags um, on each end. They're about, I would say five yards from the wall. And those are used for when you're swimming backstroke, you know, you can count your strokes and know how close you are to the wall. Um, and then you'll see the lane lines as well, separating each lane. And you'll notice the lane lines have different colors on them. And the two notable features of the lane lines is there's 15 meter marks. Um, so you'll see two. I did not know that. Yeah, they're usually yellow or red, depending on the color of the lane lines. They're like an opposite color of the rest of the little plastic things. Um, and they denote 15 meters. And so one of the rules in swimming is you can't kick underwater past 15 meters. And so um, if you're starting on one end of the pool, the farther marker will denote 15 meters. And so if you're just curious about what that means, that's- That is so are. like enlightening. I had literally no idea what that meant. So yeah, <laughs> now, you know, that's a rule. Um, that's hilarious. Oh my gosh. And then most pools should have starting blocks. And so some of the newer pools um, might have blocks with like a little wedge on the back. And mm -hmm. that was just a new addition to the sport. Um, it was like a, not necessarily a new rule, but just a new piece of equipment that we were able to use. It's for when you do starts off the blocks, you can put your back foot on there and it gives you a little more leverage so that you don't slip off the back of the block. Um, so those are pretty much the, the keynotes that you'll see when you walk into a pool. And usually everyone will start on one side of the pool and they'll put all their gear down and their water bottles down on that one side of the pool. And that's where you start and end every like rep of practice that you do. Yeah. Okay. That in itself would have been so helpful before I showed up to my master's swim practice. I knew like a lot of that stuff, but some of it is like you, you only learn by doing something wrong and someone corrects you. Yep. So that's like super helpful. Um, can we briefly talk about the like typically there's a tile strip at the bottom of the lane mm -hmm. and what that means and like how you, how you decide what side you swim on and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Yep. So usually how it goes is when you have multiple people in a lane, you'll do circle swimming. And so it's rules of the road and the black line on the bottom is like that separating factor. Um, mm -hmm. but when you're in a race, you'll typically swim down the center of the lane just because it's faster. You don't have to travel as much distance doing a circle swim. Um, and there's the two T's on either end of the black line, which are pretty probably like two feet from the edge of the wall. And so that's a good way to kind of measure your strokes. Uh, once you cross that T you might know, okay, I have one or two strokes before I have to do my flip turn or like start gliding into the wall to finish or do my open turn at the, the end of the lane. Um, so that's what it looks like. It's very mind numbing, just staring at a black line all day when you're swimming, but, um, it's used for, I guess, the measurement of your strokes and then to separate traffic in the lane. And sometimes yeah. if you have just two people in a lane, you can split the lane. So one of you swims on one side the whole time. I never liked doing that because I felt like it was really crammed, but some people prefer to. So if there's yeah. not a lot of people around, you can choose to split the lane instead. Um, and then another thing I forgot to mention just about the pool, you'll usually see clocks. Um, 
Yeah, this whether is what I wanted to get into. <laughs> yeah, whether there's one or there's two, it's nice when there's two um, on each, like one on each side of the pool so you can see, but not all pools have that. Um, some of them are digital, just like a, a count up clock. Some of them are more analog with uh, like the big circle with like the. That's what ours is. Arm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those can be kind of confusing to understand their purpose and whatnot. But if you want to ask specific questions about that, we can. No, can you explain Cause, and there's a ton of different points in there that like are really helpful to go over, but I am, I still to this day, I'm confused about the clock. No one's explained it to me. And when we do workouts, we'll talk through a workout in a little bit, like how you kind of read swim workouts. Cause that would be really helpful. But mm -hmm. can you explain the purpose of the clock, why it moves the way it does and how you use it? Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah. training for swimming is pretty much all interval based. Um, I'm not sure if they do the same thing in track workouts or not, but swimming for the most part is all based on timing. Um, and so you'll use the clock to measure your interval. And so say, for example, someone says, okay, you're going to do a 100 on two minutes. Um, and they say, go on the top. The top is like the top of the minute. So 59, zero, and like you push off on zero and say, mm -hmm. you start at 10 minutes and zero seconds you're doing a 104 laps. You want to be back at the wall by the time the clock says 12 minutes. And so if you're doing that repetition on two minutes and say you come back at a minute, 40 seconds, you have 20 seconds of rest before you go off for your next one. And so a swim workout is usually written. If they give you a little piece of paper, um, an example would be, they'd literally write the number four X 100, and then the at symbol two minutes. So that would be four 100s on two minutes. Right. That's typically how they write it. And so the distances would change whether 20, 25, 50, 100, 200. Um, so it'll tell you your number of reps for how long you're doing it. And then the amount of time that they want you to do that on. And so the time is the interval. And if you come in before that interval, you get the rest of that time to rest before you do your next one. Right. That was news to me. So as a absolute noob in the master swimming class, like I didn't grow up swimming. I mean, I'm comfortable in the water for sure, but like, I'm not a swimmer. Mm -hmm. I did not understand. So track, we write our difference or write our workouts differently. So mm -hmm. we will write what you need to stop, see your watch stop at when you cross like the line or whatever. And then we build in rest on top of that. So I'm used to like getting rest, no matter what I run mm -hmm. versus swimming you could potentially be swimming that pace for like multiple intervals if you don't hit it correctly or if you don't hit it like right on. So that was news to me because I just thought I could swim at a two minute pace and then they're like, ready, go. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to like, I need air. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that is really helpful to know. The other thing I was just going to mention is like Molly's obviously a really strong swimmer, but like I am not the most strong swimmer in the master swim class. And so if you need to modify the distance, you want to, you want to modify the distance, not necessarily the time because you, they want everyone to start at the same time. So if you're swimming like two hundreds and you know that you're not going to be able to finish a 202 minutes, bump it down to a 150 and then mm -hmm. have a little bit more rest and start with everyone back up again, mm -hmm. instead of swimming in like, and kind of holding up the people behind you in their workout, I guess. So just that was something that I had to learn and I'm still learning. So, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. definitely good. And, um, yeah. The, the point of swim workouts, I guess, is to like stay on that interval. Cause then that's gonna, it's very easy to objectively measure your progress that way. If right, intervals right. that used to be hard and you'd maybe only be getting 10 seconds of rest eventually over time, you realize, Oh, now I'm getting 20 seconds of rest on this and it feels easier. Um, right. so it's a really good way to measure your progress and absolutely agree with the, the modifying distance. 
um, because that'll quickly be able to be put back up to the regular version just if, with consistency and practice. Yeah. Okay. So how frequently of swimming do you see improvement? And I know this is tough because at a really high level, you're swimming all the time. So you may not see that much big improvement, but like for someone who really swimming is not something they do regularly, how, how much do you think someone needs to swim to feel like they're comfortable or like feel like they're getting some, getting somewhere in their workouts? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It, it's hard for me to put myself into that perspective, I guess, cause I haven't, I don't remember the feeling of like kind of starting from ground zero, I guess, but mm -hmm. I'd say that just the consistency matters more than anything. So, um, if you're starting from like pretty much zero swimming experience once a week for probably about a month, you might start to see improvement. Um, but if you're trying to, to really jump up to that next level, I'd say maybe two to three times a week um, for a month is when you might start seeing that really next level of improvement. And one that comes from the conditioning and just like getting used to the water, but two also with that uh, amount of practice, you're going to start to learn more of the te technique changes and yes. what can make you more efficient. Cause you can be super fit, but if you're not efficient in the water, that's like not going to really get you anywhere. Um, and so efficiency is key and finding a good coach that's willing to work with you and be patient to help you out with your stroke. And swimming mm -hmm. is unique in the fact that it's kind of hard to feel your body, I guess, like they can give you technique changes, but you don't, you can't really see yourself and you don't know if what you're changing is good. Um, right. So having someone that's there to be able to watch you and like show you like what your hand is doing when it enters the water, like how your elbow is bending. Um, yes that's definitely going to be super helpful, but I'd say anywhere from like one to three times a week for a month is when you're probably going to start seeing that progress. Um, cause I remember in college, I mean, we'd swim eight to nine times a week and Sundays were always our day off and Saturday morning we'd have practice. And then we wouldn't practice again until Monday morning. And just mm -hmm. in that amount of time, I'd jump back in the water on Monday and be like, Oh my God, I feel so weird. Like it's just the feel of the water, um, that right. is foreign after a little bit of time. Um, but your conditioning is probably going to jump up really fast, which will make the barrier of entry feel a little bit better. Uh, in turn, that can also go down really quickly if you aren't swimming consistently. No, totally. Can you just, for someone who like maybe isn't super familiar with like what conditioning means, that's like the overall, um, like how, how in shape you are, right? Is that kind of what you yeah. mean by conditioning? Okay. Yep. And like awesome. your something really unique to swimming that I think is great is it stresses your lung capacity more than I feel like other forms of exercise do with like running or CrossFit or, um, standard, just conditioning workouts. Um, cause yeah. you're removing the oxygen, <laughs> like you can, yeah. choose, you can choose to breathe or you can choose to not breathe. And so, um, putting yourself, your body in that situation or condition is really great for improving your lung capacity. And then you're, it's, that's going to translate over into the other forms. Like if you go for a run after you've been swimming for a while, you might be like, Oh my God, my breathing feels so good. So it's funny you say that. And I never thought about that. Something I've been trying to do more of is just mix in more cross training, like pretty hard cross training, but or like high intensity, because I don't love to do high intensity running workouts because I'm injury prone. Yeah. So when I'm running a lot of bulk miles, I don't super love to do like a lot of quick stuff because then that I need to work on. But the point I'm trying to make is I've been doing high intensity. You're getting my anaerobic stuff from biking and swimming. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like my breathing feels way more 
um, confident almost on my run. Like I can take a breath and like feel really confident about that. It feels efficient, mm-hmm. which I never really connected with specifically swimming, but I think that's probably what it is. You kind of went over this a little bit and it's going to be hard because we're not like visually, like we're in a form of media where we're just talking, but can you explain mm-hmm. to us like what a good stroke looks like? Like or how your body should kind of feel when you're in the water. And we can just do freestyle because I feel like that's kind of the easiest thing to go yeah. over for right now. But like what a kind of a good stroke look like looks like and maybe what like a bad stroke would look like. Yeah, for sure. Um, so something that is very common for new swimmers is one, their hips sinking and two, kind of like a, a zigzag pattern in the water. Um, and so- yeah say you're just floating on top of the water face down, like looking at the bottom of the pool, you want to be in like a straight line. And I know that some people's legs just sink. Like, honestly, that happened to me. Like if I tried to float, my legs would just sink. Um, and so with the freestyle stroke, that's where the importance of a good kicking comes in is because that kicking is going to keep your hips on the surface. And if you just think about it from like a drag perspective, if you're moving through the water with your hips sinking, you're going to be pulling a lot more and it's going to feel a lot harder. But if you're on the surface of the water where you're more floating, you're just going to kind of glide across the water. And so right. that's one of the first things I would say um, for a good stroke is trying to keep your hips as high as possible um, and using your kick to help that. Um, and so in order to have a good kick, you want to keep your toes pointed and initiate your kick from the hips, not necessarily just the knees. Um, a lot of people will just kind of flex their knees and move their feet like that, but you want to use like your whole leg. Um, so initiating it from the hip, kind of driving down with your knee and allowing your, your foot to follow through. Um, so working on some hip flexion there, you could feel it in your quads and not just, um, using your feet or your knees. Um, next from there, if you're looking at the arms, what I've seen a lot of people do when they're initially learning freestyle is they'll cross over their center line with their arms. And so imagine, um, your body is like cut in half vertically. Um, you don't want your hands crossing over like the crown of your head. Um, right. So you want to keep them entering pretty much right above your shoulder for both hands. Um, and this is, this is a good challenge on how to describe swimming without actually doing it. So thinking about not crossing over that midline with your hands, because that's going to affect your travel of like your pulling of the water. And so you want mm-hmm. that pull of the water to be pretty much straight down um, because that's going to be the most efficient. And so when you initiate the catch of your stroke, like your, your one arm is out front and your other arm is kind of back behind you. You want to start that catch with a bend in the elbow. And so something that is tough for, for newer swimmers is they want to just pull with the lat. And so their mm-hmm. elbow drops a little bit. Um, in swimming, we call it the high elbow catch. And so keeping your arm at the surface of the water, imagine your elbow like pointing out of the water and you just mm-hmm. point your finger straight down before you initiate that pull. Oh my God. I don't think I've been doing that this whole time. <laughs> Cause a lot of people are just inclined to just like right. move their arms straight down or like pull immediately with their lap. But like in order to make it the most efficient and grab the most water, if you have that high elbow catch, you're going to have all that surface area that's moving water. And so I'm going to be a freaking torpedo at practice. <laughs> and you, you might notice that is it's a little more taxing on the shoulders and the lat itself, because you mm-hmm. are catching and pulling more water. Um, so that's where having healthy shoulders is really important um, yeah. for swimming. 
Um, but those, those are like the two main things, the, the high elbow catch, the crossing over, um, and then the hips as well. And then I mentioned earlier, kind of like a zigzag pattern. A lot of people have the tendency to kind of shift their hips like left and right as they're swimming mm -hmm. instead of rolling with the whole body. And so you want to kind of keep your hips and your shoulders connected. So if your shoulders are turning, um, to make that catch and rotate into a breath, you want your hips to follow that. So you don't mm -hmm. want your turning to only come from just like your trunk or like your shoulders, right? You want to keep your hips involved. Cause if you're rotating with your hips and your shoulders, that moves your arm forward a little bit. It kind of acts as like a, a little thrust yeah. forward. Um, so that way that you can get more pull with the water, uh, like you're extending your stroke a little bit. Yeah. Um, like you're getting more reach out of it yep, is what you're, you're getting more reach. Like you're making your wingspan a little bit longer by okay. kind of reaching with your hips and your shoulders at the same time. And so wow. imagining your hips and shoulders being connected and rotating together is like a big cue. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard help a lot of people. Um, and then lastly, yeah. Wow. Molly, this is crazy. I'm like this. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm like, this is so life. -changing. I'm like, yeah. no wonder I'm such a slow swimmer. I don't know how to swim very well. Like my technique is not very good. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's really hard. Trust me. It's not like, it's easy for me to explain this because it was second nature to me for like 18 years of my life. And like over mm -hmm. the course of that, you learn all the little nitty gritty things. Um, mm -hmm. so absolutely is it's totally fine that you wouldn't know stuff like this or like what it's it, so helpful be, though. Yeah. It like, wouldn't be your instinct. Cause it's like, nobody's instinct. Right. Um, right. so like if you're new to swimming, like don't beat yourself up about feeling a little overwhelmed with like the information or like, Oh my God, I haven't been doing this. Um, but the last thing I'll say about technique for freestyle is your head positioning, making sure that you're focused primarily, your gaze is focused primarily down. A lot of people tend to like have their head kind of up and their chin forward. Um, and when you do that, that causes your hips to sink. And so again, if you're struggling with your hips sinking, maybe think about your head position and where it's at. Um, cause it's easy to want to breathe by lifting your chin up. Um, but that makes the stroke super inefficient. Um, just cause that's not like the natural movement of where our head wants to go. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're swimming the freestyle stroke, you want to turn your head to the left or the right, um, depending on which arm is out or which direction you're comfortable breathing at. So, mm -hmm. um, in the process of turning your head, making sure that you're keeping it as in line as possible. And in that turn, you're not lifting it up. Um, so okay. the way that I like to think of it is keeping one goggle in the water and the mm -hmm. other goggle out of the water. And that's kind of how you gauge if you're turning your head in a good way. This is so insane because I have been lifting my chin up the entire time because I feel it feels like I'm more streamlined. But I like from a pure physics perspective, of course, I'm not. I'm like a, I created like a wedge mm -hmm. between my head and neck. Yeah. And That's, I will oh. say that like for triathlon and that kind of thing, if you're doing open water swimming. Yeah. Which I want to get into. But yes, yeah, so you will have to pick your head up just to sight because you don't have yeah. the line on the bottom of the pool to help you out. So mm -hmm. if you're training for something like that, then the, the head lift is important, but that doesn't mean you should do that every stroke. That should maybe right. be in every like three to five stroke thing. Um, and it is hard to feel like you can breathe when you turn your head to the side. Cause like half your mouth is still in the water. And so mm -hmm. something that I did is I kind of like curved my mouth up. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like yeah, half of my mouth would be in the water and I'd kind of like move my cheek up to like 
Yeah. Or you like if use the hold, muscles. Yeah. With, yeah. Use the muscles in your face to like pull it towards your ear, the yes. ear that's out of the water. Yes. Yeah. That was very hard to explain, but like make your mouth smaller so that it can like get out of the water. Yeah. I only know that because we have to study all these muscles at school, like really in depth. So I know like the exact muscle that like would, or muscle yeah. group <laughs> that like does that. So that's funny. Um, but, like, that was like so helpful. And honestly, like, I think one of the reasons I probably was struggling and felt really slow at practice was my technique is just like slowing me down so much. Mm-hmm. And I'll work on that slowly. But like, if you do maybe decide to do a triathlon where you are doing these longer distance swims, just the technique alone may take a lot of time off your Mm -hmm. like swim factor so that's so cool and like I'm really excited to get in the water and try some of this because it's going to be a game changer I think yeah and another another little thing with breathing is um when you turn your head to the side to take a breath of air breathing in through your mouth and then when you rotate it back into the water exhaling through your nose that's like yeah that's kind of how it's most efficient in the water and you can keep your breath under control like as your heart rate starts to go up Right. And I think I was talking to some people that are less comfortable in the pool. Like I do have some of these like instincts, I guess, just from swimming a lot, but like some people will hold their breath like instinctually because all of a sudden you, you kind of forget that you have to breathe while you're swimming and get that CO2 out and everything. So just, it's a really easy thing to add on, but just make sure you're breathing while you're swimming in the water and you're not taking like, while you're not inhaling, like exhale while your head's in the water, I guess is what I'm trying yep. to say. Um, yeah there's a a number of drills that are really helpful to getting like the breathing pattern down. Um, one of them that I used to teach a lot, um, cause I coached high school swimming, um, as you take a kickboard, um, mm-hmm. you hold it out with your hands on like the edge of the kickboard and you practice like just doing your strokes, but you're holding that kickboard. So it kind of provides you a little bit of leverage to learn how to like turn your head to the side, um, mm-hmm. as you're swimming those strokes or just like kicking, keeping both arms on the board and just like turning your head to the side. Um, that one's a little more difficult cause you don't swim freestyle with both of your arms out like that. Um, so that's why I like kind of the alternating, um, stroke holding the kickboard, but having that kickboard keeps you afloat a little bit more. So you're not, um, you're focusing more on just like the action of turning your head rather than like trying to swim and turn your head. Totally. Um, that was so helpful. Thank you for like visualizing that in words. I feel like it's not the easiest thing to say, mm-hmm. like over a podcast, but it's really helpful. I do want to transition a little bit into open water. And I know like you have so much specialty in, in like competitive mm-hmm. indoor swimming kind of, but you, you also are really good at open water. So could you kind of like explain to me the differences between open water and lap swimming, like the big differences, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, open water swimming, honestly, feels like a different sport sometimes in the experience right. that I've had. I haven't done a ton of it, but, um, I did like one open water race when I was in like middle school or something. Um, and then occasionally for swimming, we would, if we were on a trip, we'd go swim in the ocean or like a lake or something. Um, Mm -hmm. but the biggest difference, I guess I would say is lap swimming is very controlled and open water isn't as controlled. Like the environment that you're in, in a pool is very like standard across the board. Like it's going to pretty much be the same, no matter where you go. Like the pool is going to be the same distance. The water is going to be the same. Like there's really no current. Um, it's laid out the same. All the specifications are super controlled open water. You like, don't always really know what you're going to get. You don't know. Like if you're in a lake, you don't know if the wind is going to be strong and how that's going to affect where you're going. And it, you can't really see 
um, it's harder to know your trajectory. So like if you keep your head down and you're swimming, you might end up like totally on the opposite side of where the pack is headed. Um, totally. so that's where sighting comes into play. Um, I've only done one triathlon in my life, so I don't know how things have maybe changed, but typically from what I remember, there's buoys that you're swimming towards. And yep. so if they're brightly colored, that's an easy thing to try to keep in your sight as you get closer. So that way, you know, you're headed in the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. Or if there's somebody a little bit ahead of you wearing like a brightly colored cap, they could be a good thing to use as a site. Totally. Um, and so I'd mentioned before, maybe every three to five strokes, depending on how comfortable you feel, um, lifting your head up for sighting. Um, cause of course, lifting your head up is going to slow you down and you want to minimize that as much as you can. Um, but just the, the act of swimming in a large body of water, it feels like you're going to be going a lot slower just cause yeah. you don't have that near reference point of like a wall or the pool deck or like bleachers to gauge, like how fast you're moving. So you're yeah. going to feel like you're kind of not going anywhere. Um, especially in like a big lake or something with the, the ocean, you might be close to the shore and like swimming in parallel to the shore. So you could see that moving along. Um, but lake specifically, I found it feels like I'm going literally nowhere. Um, and then if you're swimming in the ocean, the waves will make it feel a little more taxing because you're kind of fighting that up and down motion. And you're going to feel really weird when you like get back on land. Yeah, especially if you're in a triathlon, you like run transition to get to the bike, you're probably gonna be like, Oh my god, everything's spinning. Yeah. Yeah. And something else that I found it difficult to get used to was just like the water itself, like swimming in a chlorine pool, you kind of know how that tastes and like you know how that yeah feels like in your nose or your mouth or your ears. Um, but salt water was really hard for me to swim in because I hated getting it in my mouth. And so I kind of had to just like grin and bear it and deal with that if I was swimming in, in the ocean. And so that mm-hmm. might be just a little factor that could be a shock to your system if you've never swam in that. Um, or lake water, um, it just tastes a little bit different and you might be like, oh, this is weird. Um, and it might get in your head a little bit and make you feel a little bit frazzled initially. Yeah, I love that because there are little things like that that do add up to your experience, like mm-hmm. things you would never really think of. But you, I know for me, like when I surf, I get a lot of salt water in my mouth. And it really, like, I get really dehydrated very quickly because of it. And so whenever I get done swimming, I'm like, oh my God, like I have a, I have a pounding headache. Yeah. And so if you are doing like maybe an event that is ocean-based, make sure that you really have a lot of fresh water when you're, and I'm sure the race will have that too, but like maybe take that into consideration. Yeah. I love this. I think it's super helpful to talk about the fact that you do lose some control in a body of water that you, that isn't perfectly planned out um Mm -hmm. and that it's okay to feel a little bit out of control in that sense because that's like the nature of where you are but just anchoring on to some of the important things like making sure your form is okay like just because you feel like you're swimming slow like anchor onto that form make sure you're turning your body make sure you're taking good breaths like make sure you're exhaling um I know with and we don't have to specifically talk about triathlon but it is helpful because you have so much experience with swimming Mm -hmm. but like just when your adrenaline is really high, sometimes it feels like you're unsafe, but it's not necessarily like an, a safety thing. It's just your body in fight or flight. So could you kind of talk through like getting your body back down to baseline when it's freaking out in the water kind of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, that all comes back to breathing. I mean, regardless of if you're swimming or not, like if you're feeling right. that your breath work is how you're going to kind of bring your body back to that baseline that you'd mentioned. And so just being conscious 
of your breathing and understanding that that's going to be pretty much your only method when it comes to swimming and just like staying relaxed. And then also with your stroke, um, if you're especially swimming a, a long distance, just not making it these like really short, abrupt, ad, uh, short, quick strokes, trying to lengthen that out. So that's going to make you feel a little bit more, um, relaxed and if mm-hmm. you're not like sprinting. Um, I understand that like in a triathlon, you kind of have to get out of that initial wave in the beginning and kind of find your way. Mm-hmm. But maybe once that is passed, lengthening out your stroke, feeling a little bit more relaxed, um, and being conscious of your breathing. And so trying to breathe like every stroke, um, and making it very patterned could bring your heart rate I love down, that. make you feel settled in. Yeah. I love that. And I just quickly, before we move on from open water, I did just want to go over sighting and like what that is. Mm-hmm. because it's, it's what the word says. So you like lift your head up out of the water, look at the direction you're going, check the buoy, check the caps, kind of like turn your head to the side, make the rest of your breath and go back down. Right. Yep. That's kind of what sighting is. Yep. Yeah. So you're kind of like morphing a lifting your head up into turning it to go back down. Right. It's like a, yeah, it's like one fluid movement. Like you take your stroke, lift your head up and then turn it back and bring it. It's like a 360 yeah. that you're kind of doing with your head. Yeah. So we do that in pool workouts. Some, like I try to do that in my pool workouts. So I don't swim open water unless it's in the summer because I'm in the Midwest. It's super cold for a while, but I try to do that in the pool. Like I'll cite the pace clock or I'll cite like a bright bag on the side or something. And that's really helpful. And then the other thing that I'll do in the pool is do open turns. So instead of flip turns, um, where you're like putting your head down, spinning and kind of coming off the wall. You could probably explain it better than that, Molly, but like <laughs> I'll try to do open turns at least like on one end of the pool. Mm-hmm. That way, like I'm not getting that push off start every single time I go and I have to like kind of consistently like keep my form. I don't know. The open terms really help. And I do think like, because you have to turn your body isn't level with the pool. So you kind of have to accelerate a little bit more and you're working a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. So that might be a good thing to incorporate into some swim practices. If you're not like grinding with a bunch of people in the lane, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. That's a great tip. Yeah. Flip turns are certainly faster. They carry your momentum a little bit more. So that's a great point right. in sharing. Awesome. Is there anything else you think that you could transfer over like things that you could do in a pool while you're getting ready for open water season, anything else that you think might be helpful? If, if there's a 50 meter pool, like in your area, like seeking that out and trying to swim it. Cause it's a whole, it feels like a whole different sport going from a 25 yard pool to a 50 meter pool. Um, mm-hmm. and it, cause it is yard meters are longer than yards. So like a 50 meter pool is going to be slightly longer than two 25 yard pools, just stacked end to end. Um, mm-hmm. and so if you're looking for a pool to maybe translate a little bit more into open water and say it's the winter in Wisconsin and you like can't swim outside, um, that would probably be the best bet. Um, if you're not able to access a 50 meter pool, I'd say just swim more consistently. That That's probably yeah. like the best option I can say. Love it. Um, okay, perfect. I think that's so helpful. I want to quick get into gear. You recommend, um, suits or goggles that aren't super crazy expensive, but maybe like a nice entry level piece or something like that. Yep. So when it comes to goggles, my favorite ones, and I'm not like these brands are just what I used in college. They're they're not like tied to this in any way. Um, Mm -hmm. and so my favorite goggles were the, the speedo women's vanquisher. Um, those are what I remember recommending you. And those are what I use like literally my entire time swimming. I love them. And I got the reflective pair, which I really like. Yes. And so that's definitely something to think about depending on the season that you're swimming in. And so indoors, I tended to like just normal clear goggles. Um, 
And then if you're swimming outside where it's really sunny, you might want like a mirror or like a, yeah, a mirrored pair, like a tinted pair. Um, mm-hmm. then the sun's not going to be like blinding you and in a clear water pool with like a, a white or a blue bottom, it's going to be super bright, even when your head is not like outside the water. Um, right. but on the flip side of that, if you're swimming in a lake where the water is usually a little bit darker, darker goggles might make you feel like you can't see as well. Um, yeah, true. So those are just something to be mindful of, um, the goggles that you choose, but the, the women's vanquisher are like a fan favorite, like pretty much everybody I know. Those are what they use. Loves them. And they're super reasonably priced. They're like maybe 25 bucks, I think. Yep. 25 bucks. Uh, swimoutlet.com is a great place to go to like, look for different things. And they have like everything ranging from like super beginner level to like what competitive swimmers use. Um, so that's a good resource. Um, in terms of suits, I mean, anything speedo, you like, you can't go wrong. They're like the most established swimming brand. Um, they have been mm-hmm. for a really long time. Um, I personally really liked the brand Jolin, um, cause they're just like, they're cute. Like they make nice designs and they're super comfortable and they make mm-hmm. stuff. It's not like a brand only for competitive swimming. So it doesn't feel like as intimidating buying some I swim in them. Yeah. Yeah. So like you might not, if you're looking for a suit, it could be easy to feel like, am I buying the right thing? I don't know if this is right. Like this is a competitive swimming brand. Like I'm not that. Um, and Jolin just makes like cute two piece suits anyway. Um, yeah. And they make one pieces. So it's kind of for everybody. Like I wear them just out and about like hanging out. I love them. Um, yeah. If you're swimming outside, I would wear their two pieces at practice all the time to like get a nice tan. Um, yeah. But Jolin is a great brand. I'd say they're super reasonably priced and they last a long time. So yeah. Those are the two. I also really like their tie back suits. So like if I didn't totally know my swim size and they measure what your like torso, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I literally have no clue what my torso length is and I'm not going to figure it out either. So I kind mm-hmm. of like texted some friends, asked what their size was kind of based it off of that. And then I got the tie. So that mm-hmm. way, like if I'm feeling like I can adjust it based on how I'm feeling, which I really like. So you yeah. can kind of work sizes, which is good. I mean, they're not as performance driven, but I don't need a suit that's going to you yeah. know, get me there. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jolin is probably my favorite brand. And I think they have caps too, if you want to buy one. Yeah. Um, I swim in a Jolin cap and I love it. Yep. And there's, there's two types of materials that you can find when it comes to caps. There's silicone and there's latex. Um, silicone is a little thicker uh, and a little smoother latex. I don't want to say is stickier, but it's a little, um, I guess stickier is the word I'm going to use, but it's thinner. And so they tend to rip a little bit easier, um, mm-hmm. but they're also latex caps are also cheaper. Um, so depends on what you want. Silicone is, is thicker. It might make your hair feel like it's more secure. I wore latex just because I didn't like my head feeling so like constricted latex yeah. just felt a little bit looser. Um, yeah. but getting a cap is key. You don't want to swim with your hair, like flopping all over the place, even if it's in like a bun. Um, and it also keeps the water at relatively keeps the water out of your ears. Um, yeah. and then other gear I can think of that might be useful. Um, I really love swimming with a snorkel, um, as strange as that sounds, but they they make snorkels specifically for like actual swimming and not like snorkeling in the ocean. Um, yeah. Not so like your kinda, vacation snorkel. Yeah. Ex- they're not like the, the mask with like an attack. <laughs> this is an active snorkel, not a, vac- not a vacation <laughs> snorkel. Yes. Um, so I swam with a snorkel a lot, um, in college and a lot of my teammates did as well. And that can be really mm-hmm. helpful for technique and learning the, the rotation. 
because you're not having to worry about like moving your head and that kind of screwing up your flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so TYR makes a really good snorkel. It's super like shaped to your head and it kind of goes like up and back. It doesn't just like stick straight up and it's mm-hmm. very um, secure to the band that goes around your head. So it doesn't like move all over the place with like the friction of the water. Right. Um, snorkel is a good option if you're interested in like getting more gear than just like a swim cap and goggles and a suit. Right. Um, getting some fins, um, mm-hmm. or flippers, whatever you want to call them. Um, those are helpful. There's two, two kinds you can find, uh, fins are generally a bit longer and they're like what you think of if you're like a scuba diver or something like the really long flappy right. ends. And then there's also what in the swimming world we call zoomers. And so they're a little bit shorter, um, <laughs> a little bit shorter. Uh, they don't have as much of like a give to them, but they still help you feel like you're swimming a little faster, like accelerate your kick. And Mm so, um, I used TYR zoomers, I think. Um, I know that arena is another brand that makes them. Um, they're typically made out of rubber or something like that. And they, they go on your feet and they kind of hook around your heel and, um, they'll make your hips feel like they're a little higher in the water. So if you're awesome, interested in that, um, and then a kickboard, um, yep. And the last thing I was going to say quick is the, um, pull buoys. So I know we pull a lot at practice to kind of, and I'm a runner. So like I have literally no upper body, so, which is different than Molly who's like just so strong, but pulling has really helped me with a, my upper body technique, because I feel like that's what I'm struggling a lot with. And then just developing like those muscles a little bit more. Um, so can you just like, really like, just talk about pulling and why it's important, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the piece of equipment Caroline mentioned, the, the pull buoy, it's like a piece of rubber or not rubber, like foam that you is kind of curved and you stick it between your legs. So it, mm-hmm. you have to hold it in between your legs and, um, that removes kicking from the equation of the stroke. And so it keeps your hips elevated on the surface cause it floats. Um, mm-hmm. and you really just have to focus on swimming with your arms and pulling. Um, and so like Caroline mentioned, it's very good for developing like the strength of the stroke. Um, but it also helps you feel your, your hips in the water and that shoulder rotation. And so, um, another way to elevate pulling is similar to how you put fins on your feet. They have paddles for your hands that are like kind of big plastic pieces with little rubber straps that you can attach to your wrists and like your fingers. And Mm -hmm. those act as like a big, they make your hand bigger pretty much. And so a piece of plastic with some holes in it to let the water pass through. Um, Mm -hmm. and that can be good for feeling your, your stroke and your catch in the water. Cause like with more pressure on your hand, you're going to be able to feel where it is a little bit better. And then it's also going to make you stronger because you're pulling more water. And so pulling is definitely super important one for technique and two, just for developing the strength that you need to right. swim efficiently. Um, and a really good challenge for pulling is instead of normally you put the pull buoy in between like your upper thigh, it's like mm-hmm. super close to like the top of your, like your legs, a good challenge is putting it in between your ankles and trying to hold it there. Um, cause that's going to keep your feet elevated on the water, but it's going to force you to hold your core in such a way that keeps your hips up as well. Um, and so if you're a little bit more advanced into swimming and looking for some new, um, drills or stuff to do to, to further that, um, try pulling with the buoy around your ankles. 
I love that. I like want to go get in the pool today and try this because there's so much stuff that I'm like really excited to try out. And I just love it because it shows that like you still can learn new things as an adult. Like it's okay to like learn this technique and take your time learning it. With swimming, I feel like you can just jump in the pool and feel a lot of joy. And I think that's a really unique thing to the sport. Like just the the lack of gravity and the fact that you can't listen to music really well. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's just you and yourself in the pool. And I think yep. it's such a unique sport in that sense. Like you really are unplugging. And so if all this sounds like a lot, I mean, it is a lot, but it's also as a challenge, it can be a really cool thing to learn new technique. Like as a runner, I don't learn technique very often. It's just, you kind of grin and bear it. And I think mm-hmm. swimming is such a unique opportunity to like really connect with yourself in that way. Yeah, for sure. And I would 100% agree. Um, Swimming is also the great equalizer, which I kind of love is like, you can pull people that are super fit in like a bunch of different aspects and like throw them in a Mm -hmm. pool and like, everyone's kind of like, oh my God, like this is, everyone just knows it's universally hard. (laughs) Yes, totally. That's such a good way of saying it. And a lot of times, even if you are aerobically inclined, like those skills don't transfer over to swimming very easily. Mm -hmm. But swimming transfers over to other things really easily, which is nice. Yes. Yes, totally. And I think, yeah, it's a great thing to do in your cross training. Like if you're training for other things, you just even do one time a week. Like right now I'm swimming basically one time a week and I've seen a lot of noticeable changes just in like my, like we were talking about earlier, like my cardiovascular just ability, I feel like is a lot more strong now. And yeah, you're totally right. You said it perfectly. It transfers out really well, but it does take some work to learn it, but I think it's really worth it. And there are other strokes you can try too. We just talked today about freestyle. Molly, thank you so much. I feel like what we talked about is so applicable and like, I'm really excited to get in the pool and be the world's fastest swimmer now. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) This is great. And I'm, uh, I'd come on and talk about swimming anytime with you. Awesome. Thanks, buddy.